You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. Last week I was in Colombia and the first part of the week was public events and then in the second part there was a retreat it was we said it was a session but it was a little more relaxed than a session it wasn't completely silent it wasn't always serious and so we had tea times and at tea times people would sit at these little tables outside and they could they could talk and i was there with one of my teachers from japan i was his attendant and i was interpreting for him so we would sit together at tea time and people would come and introduce themselves and ask him questions. And, and uh, at one point a man from, I think, Chile came and sat down and explained that he was from a Zen tradition that uses koans and that koan practice was very important for him. And my teacher thought this was really exciting and interesting and, and uh, uh, asked him if, if he felt that koan practice had changed his understanding of zazen at all. And, and the guy said, oh, yeah, it's night and day. You know, it's, it's totally different. And then the conversation started to, to turn. And the man started asking my teacher, well, have you ever done koan study? And he said, no, but, you know, but I know the literature. I think that it's... It's really interesting. And, and he made some comment about the, the sound of one hand clapping, you know, which is kind of the one that everybody knows. And then this man, his, his eyes, they lit up and he was really excited. And he said, do you know the sound of one hand clapping? <laughs> and I looked at him and I thought, I know exactly what's going to happen now. And my poor teacher, he had to watch this without knowing exactly what was going on in that moment. But, but the questions started coming rapid fire. Not just, do you know the sound of one hand clapping, but can't you hear it? Can't you hear it right now? And it was becoming a challenge. He was testing this person whom he had just met. And I had to lean across the table and say, you are confused about what's happening. We're drinking tea. We're eating cake. This is not a test. And your question is not a real question. And I don't know if he understood what I meant. But it just so happens that where we are in this text we've been talking about, guidelines for studying the way, speaks very clearly to this point. I've spoken of this before. There's this tradition of Dharma combat. It's kind of romantic in Zen that people would go, that monks, they would train for a while and then they'd leave and they'd go from temple to temple and they would start fights. That was what they would do. They'd go to, a, they'd find a new teacher and they'd challenge that teacher 
and something would happen, you know. And if they were dissatisfied with what the teacher said, they'd move on. And if they were satisfied with what the teacher said, they'd stay. Some people never stayed. And it wasn't because they knew everything. It was because they had no interest in learning anything. There is only one valid reason to engage someone in Dharma combat, and that is because you desperately want to lose. You want very badly to put your best foot forward and to have someone else show you that there's something you haven't seen. That's the gift. That's what you hope for. If you're not hoping for that, you should stay at home. Your question is not a real question. Right? That's a fun way to talk about it because we can picture, you know, there are the hats and the outfits and the beautiful scenery, and it all seems it's a story. Except that we're all guilty of it all the time. Dogen writes, once you see or hear the true teaching, you should practice it without fail. This has to do with responsibility. One phrase offered by a loyal servant can have the power to alter the course of the nation. One word given by a Buddha ancestor cannot fail to turn people's minds. The unwise ruler does not adopt the servant's advice. One who does not, this one's, this is key. One who does not step forward cannot accept the Buddha's teaching. If you are unbending, you cannot stop floating along in birth and death. If appropriate advice is not heeded, governing with virtue cannot be realized. He's kind of mixing metaphors here. <laughs> we'll forgive him that. Once you see or hear the true teaching, you should practice it without fail. There are two parts of this. One is that once you encounter the truth, you must swallow it. <laughs> and two, having swallowed it, you must confront it. You must live up to it. This is so simple that we could stop here. But I could also talk for the next three hours about my examples in my life in which I have failed to do this. And we would only stop because I would be so tired. There's no end. We live today in a world in which there's actually a machinery in place that is designed to reinforce our own beliefs all the time. So that when I look on social media, I am surrounded by people whom I have pre-selected to have views similar to my own. Those who don't 
I can, I can make them quieter. I can actually turn down the volume of the people who are saying things I don't like, and they will appear less in my life. Right? And as people, if people say things that I agree with, and I click that button to say, yeah, I think that's right on, I'm going to hear more from them. Right? And if I purchase certain kinds of products, then other kinds of products are going to start to disappear from my view. And I'm going to find just variations on a theme. I'm sheltered from my own life. And it's not just that. If someone on Facebook says something that I disagree with, and I engage, what does that do? I'm not going to rule out the possibility for change, but I can say with real confidence that in 99.999999% of, of these scenarios, what happens is that person becomes stronger in his convictions, and I become stronger in mine. And then I go back to my circle of friends who are saying things that I already believe, and they give me talking points, which I can then bring to another conversation that is fruitless. Because I never intended to hear what the other person had to say, and neither did he, at any stage. And there's no compelling reason to do it, because, again, when things go south, we can just turn them down. Nobody wants to find out that they were wrong. And nobody wants to find out that their view is small. That, to me, is what is so powerful and so compelling about this idea of Dharma combat. It's not that somebody says something nonsensical and somebody else says something amazing and then somebody's mind is blown and then we have a story. It's that you would step into a fight fully, completely engaged while again simultaneously hoping that the other person wins. That takes a strength and a humility that we rarely ask of ourselves in anything. It's too hard. It's hard enough when it sneaks up on us. In other texts, Dogen uses the example not of the loyal servant, but of a child. Even if a child says something that's true, you should bow to him, he says. And if you have children, you know that that happens. I have a way of talking to my kids when I am frustrated and when I am convinced that they are no longer hearing me. And when I want to drive a point home, that is very clearly enunciated 
and it also gets kind of quiet. <laughs> Wherein, for some reason, my grammar sometimes becomes a little bit more complex. <laughs> and uh, my eye contact is perfect. <laughs> and I will confront my children and I will say, you need to hear this. <laughs> and then I will lay it out for them. And for years, I did this with my son. And my wife never called me on it. I never called myself on it. I just, you know, I wanted to be a good dad. And then one day, right after we'd moved to Halifax, I was doing this. It was on the stairway in our, our, our apartment. And I, I was talking to my son in this way. And he just, he just looked at me and he said, I hate it when you use that way of talking with me. And that was the first time that I was forced to confront the fact that I did this. I knew I did this. I have ears, but I didn't believe, I believed that I had the option not to believe it. You know, I had the option to believe that, that he heard it in a more loving way. Right, that my best intentions were somehow coming through and they weren't. And he finally had the verbal ability to say, you're terrible at this. It was so disappointing, but it, it wasn't shocking. I just thought, oh yeah, I've been caught. I talked to someone just yesterday who was telling me that even though she is confident that she has something seriously, physically wrong, that she refuses to go to the doctor. Not because she doesn't know, but because she knows. I've done this. It sounds, if, if, if I, hear this story, I think, well, that's crazy. But it is my story. And that's why I say this, this part is so important. One who does not step forward cannot accept the Buddha's teaching. Here we're framing this in terms of the Buddha's teaching in something big, but let's start small. It's not simply about knowing what's true and what's not. We know a lot of things that are true. It's that we ignore them. It's that we don't respond to them. We don't act on them. Right? This is why we have all these stories in Zen in which the student runs to the teacher and says, I just had the greatest realization of my life. And the teacher says, yeah, who cares? What are you doing with it? Don't tell me you had a big idea. Don't tell me you figured something out. Already, the gap between what you know and what you're acting on is so vast that to add one more thing to it is, do we say congratulations? Or do we just kind of throw that in the box? Say, here's another thing that you may never actually act on. 
we have to step forward. We have to step forward into the thing that we don't want to step into. That's what he's saying. Not just to believe it, but to move closer to it, to where we are uncomfortable. I've, I've used this example in the past as well, but I'll, I'll say it again because I think it's powerful and because I, I think... There's a lot to it. You know, I, I grew up in Montana, which is not a terribly racially diverse part of the world. Certainly not what we're known for. And then I moved to Japan and spent most of my adult life there. And so even though I was very familiar with the idea of white privilege, it really did not feel pressing to me. And I certainly didn't like the idea of having it thrown at me. You know. And it really wasn't until a few years ago that, that I started really looking and seeing all the ways in which I quietly participate in a system in which I am considered to be normal. And I benefit from that. It's not that I didn't believe it. I believed it. There's, there's evidence for miles. It was that it didn't, I didn't I didn't allow this question to make me squirm for a long time. It was intellectual, and I could feel like I'm someone who gets it. You know? and the thing about getting it is that when you get close to anything, you, you start realizing you don't. If appropriate advice is not heeded, governing with virtue cannot be realized. There's a lot of talk in Taoism and in Confucianism and in Buddhism all about governance, about what makes a, a, a good ruler. And here we hear this kind of Taoist influence. He says, if you are unbending, you cannot stop floating along in birth and death. This idea of being flexible, this idea of being willing to receive something, of not being hard, of being vulnerable in your honesty. And the wise ruler, of course, is not, doesn't have to be a king. It's, it's, how, it's how you govern your life. I love and hate these kinds of teachings because this one, for example, completely embodies the thing that it's saying. It's telling me that there's something I don't want to hear and that I should hear it. And that is itself something that I would rather not hear. <laughs> and I'm stuck with it. but I'm grateful. I'll stop there.
For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.